The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for your word and for the opportunity, for the privilege of opening it and reading it and hearing it. We can hear it with our ears that function according to laws that you established, but we can hear it in a way that is really hearing by your gracious provision of your Spirit. And so we pray that you would illumine the Scripture, enable us to hear it, and in hearing it, hear what it's about this week. Hear what Jesus puts before us. Spirit of God, would you run through the room here now and address the hundred or so particular situations that we are in, Address them to draw our attention to your word. Address them to clear away sin that would be a barrier to hearing. Address them to, to lift up hearts that are, are without hope now. Address us in wherever, in whatever, however we are. Draw us to this word and speak it to us and give us ears to hear. Make my words clear, build your church and honor Jesus. That is our prayer. For his glory, for the good of us, his people, would you work. That is our prayer. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter 8, where we find a familiar parable, an extremely familiar parable. The parable of the sower and the seed, sometimes called the parable of the four soils. And part of a challenge for a church congregation facing a parable like this is to actually listen to it. Because it's so familiar. We're going to work through it in two weeks. I'll address most of what Jesus says about the parable itself today. Some of it will be next week. And then I'm going to catch a little bit of 9 and 10 and some other things that are kind of general about parables next week. This event takes place, we don't exactly know where or when, other than that it is after the dinner party of Simon the Pharisee. So that's the end of chapter 7. Last week in particular, we looked at what Jesus said to the woman. She is already forgiven before he turns to speak to her. An important point for her and for all of us. She's already forgiven, and he says to her that truth. He tells her again. He reminds her. He assures her. And therefore draws her on, the point we made last week, to rest assured that the salvation in Jesus is sufficient and it is certain. He reminds her of that and reminds us of that because it is meant to... to as we rest, not rest in a withdrawing, kind of check off the box, got that done sense, but, but to rest in an empowering and reassuring and an engaging, and a, a motivation for engagement with the world sense of rest. 
He tells this woman and tells us, rest assured, your salvation is sufficient. I am with you. You are mine. Go in peace. Peace with me and with yourself and with the world and serve me and serve them. Well, that scene ends, the end of chapter 7, and we come into chapter 8 and Jesus begins to travel again. And going forward, increasingly, we're going to notice not in every single section, but increasingly notice a division. The world is going to divide into two around Jesus. We've seen it already. It's been there in chapter 7. In fact, we saw the children, the children who want nothing to do with John and Jesus and the children of wisdom who, who do. We see it in the Pharisee and, and his friends and then the woman. We, we've seen the division already, but it's going to become increasingly prominent, increasingly frequent, And in light of that, Jesus' teaching here in chapter 8 gives us a parable that is about listening, hearing him. It's a big part of that division. This prepares us, and it kind of puts us in a position, kind of puts us on the divide between these two groups going forward. Towards Towards this end, towards this end of preparing us to look at this divide, he tells us this parable with, with the following message. Here's what I'm working towards this morning, my main point. Simple sentence. Be careful how you hear the Word of God. Be careful how you hear the Word of God. That's, that's the divide between the two. Be careful to be on, end up on the right side of the divide. If you're not careful, you end up on the other side. It's the main point I'm going to work towards this morning. Let me read Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. When the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe it and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, 
and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That's the parable. Verses 1 through 3 give us a a general picture of Jesus' ministry at this point, an introductory section. He left the meal and began to travel to cities and towns, going to all sorts of places of all different sizes, but everywhere he goes, he has a consistent message. He is proclaiming, announcing, preaching, declaring the good news of the kingdom of God constantly. And he's doing so now, traveling with with kind of a particular band, an accompanying group of disciples, the twelve, end of verse 1, and some women who had been healed, some of whom are named here, verse 3, many others also. A few named, and many others also. Which, while this is an introductory section, we need to just be careful to note that's not the main focus. However, I need to pause here because there's a point made in this introductory section that Luke very often makes, very subtly, very casually, and never really makes the main focus, but it's so consistent that we need to look at it. Luke, more than any of the other gospel writers, consistently features people on the margins, people who are in in fragile situations in life, poor, injured, widows, and women. More than the other gospels, women are featured in Luke's gospel. Here they are featured, some of them named. So the church, they're made famous in the church by naming them. And there are many others also. They are included in the group. They are present here. and They're given a certain dignity. They are part of this work. They provide for the ministry band. They enable them to carry on the work. So Luke's making a point here. Women are present Women are included, women are honored, and and they are not included in the twelve. Both of those points, realities, important to see right next to each other and to happily accept. Luke shows us consistently that Jesus is not, not even for one moment embarrassed to be associated with or dependent upon women for his physical maintenance. Neither Luke, as he records this, or Jesus, as he lives all of this, is remotely interested in kowtowing to some chauvinistic worldview. Women are part of the ministry band. Women travel and share all the hardships. Women would be ostracized by society for identifying with that one. Women are scorned because they're part of this group. Women are made famous in the church because they're a part of this group. And they aren't a part of the 12. That's all that's said here. It's not the main point, but it's so consistently a little bitty minor point. At some point, I've got to mention it. got to bring it out. There's a difference in gender. That 
is not a difference in importance or in value or in dignity or in significance, but there's a difference. Here's the 12 and these named women and many others traveling with Jesus, following him. And they come, verse 4, to a great crowd that's gathering. It's presented grammatically as the crowd is coming. While verse 4 is happening, the crowd's coming. It's as if, picture an environment like this. While I'm speaking, people are constantly coming in. and We're adding chairs behind and they're filling up. And we're filling in the middle of the road. It's, the crowd is growing while Jesus is speaking. And seeing that, he then stops and speaks this parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. An ancient farmer who's broad scattering, they would, they would have a bag with seed and they'd just throw it like that. He's sowing his seed into a big field and it lands in four different types of environments. It's a path, a, a packed down trail through the field where the seed falls and of course it just sits there on top and is trampled and, importantly, eaten up by birds. Others fell on rock. Not meaning ground that has a lot of rocks in it, but ground that's a, enough dirt for a, a plant to germinate and sprout up, but beneath it there's a layer of rock. You can't see, but prevents root. So when the heat comes, it withers away. Then some fell among thorns. In your mind's picture, great big, like several feet tall thorns, thistles, and growing up around, choking out this third type of seed. Such as a plant grows, but there's no fruit. All the energy is sucked into the weeds, and there's no energy and no fruit in, in this third plant. But the fourth seed in good soil... It does bear, and it bears a hundredfold. The end. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that would be a good deal, good deal more odd if that actually was the end. We always, we always have the next bit. We read on. But if you're in the crowd, that's all he said. Because transition happens at verse 9. He moves on to speak only with the disciples, and 9 and 10, he speaks some general comments about parables. Like I said, I'll address that next week. But then he moves on to explain for them what the parable was about. And that's going to be most of our focus this morning. So I'm going to be mostly attending to the second paragraph there, and I'm going to draw two observations. Here's the first one. It is crucial that we carefully, properly hear the Word of God. It is crucial that we carefully, properly hear the Word of God. Hearing is the main thread that runs through this parable. It's in verse 8, he was ears to hear, let him hear. Then it's in the, the quote in there. And then every, t- every soil that he describes, all four of them, they are the ones who hear. Each one. Two of them hear the Word which, if you follow it through, of course, the seed is the Word of God. So this is a parable about hearing the Word of God. That's what Jesus is most concerned. That's what he's talking about. When he sees this crowd coming in to to hear him speak, he tells them a parable that is about hearing the Word of God. What does he mean? 
Well, in a real sense, it is fair to take that statement and apply it to all that is the Word of God. The Bible's clear that, that all of the Bible is God's Word to us. Much of it was spoken first before it was written down. This is God's Word, what comes out of God's mouth, His instruction to us, recorded. So we could say it would be very fair to take this and everything I say here this morning and take it and apply it to the Bible, Scriptures, these 66 books, and say this is God's Word to us. It is important that we properly, carefully hear it. That's fair. But in the context, he certainly means something a little more narrow than that. Throughout this book, so far, we've seen Jesus traveling, and he's teaching and teaching and teaching. Everywhere he goes, he heals, but that's not the point. That's not why he goes. He's going and going and going so as to teach and preach a particular message. If you look at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, you see a connection. It's worth looking there to note that this is constant throughout Luke. The end of 4, it talks about how he went through village after village saying, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns too. That's what he's doing as he travels. Chapter 5, verse 1, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in to hear the word of God, story follows, there's the connection, they've come to hear the word of God, that is what he's preaching, the good news of the kingdom of God. Same connection in our chapter. What's he doing as he travels? Chapter 8, verse 1, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And while he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, he then talks about hearing the word of God. What he means, generically the Bible, but what he means in this particular context, it is important that we properly, carefully, accurately hear the good news of the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. There is a kingdom. I'm, I'm going to talk to you. We're going we're gonna to like do what the passage is about. We're going to talk about, and then do you have ears to hear? There is a kingdom. And there is a king. which is good news because the world is in chaos and there is a king who is bringing a kingdom to reverse all of that, to, to set it right. What must be set right if the kingdom is going to be, to be enacted and received and experienced? What must be set right is sin. The other rival kingdom of, of the other rival prince must be put down if this king is to take his throne and to reign for our good. He must deal with sin. This is the message that the woman in chapter 7 heard and, and believed. A way is, has been provided for sin to be dealt with, even mine. Good news for people who know they're sinners and know their sin needs to be dealt with and who look for something beyond this, some other kingdom out there. Some way has been provided. Some way has been provided. There is a way for my sin to be forgiven. 
This one, this Jesus, preaching about a way for my sin to be forgiven. And in faith, she, in faith, believes him. Her sin is forgiven and she is saved out from death and out from judgment into life. Go in peace. In a nutshell, that's what she heard in chapter 7. That's what Jesus, in one way or another, is preaching constantly, 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 constantly. I have come not only to heal, but to set captives free from sin. I have come not only to to heal physical blindness, but to give sight for people to see that this kingdom of this world is falling and another kingdom is coming in. All she would have known and all they would have known at this time is that somehow or another, this one who has been declared the son, the king, somehow or another, this one is going to deal with sin. This one who has been declared the son, the king, and has been declared the lamb who takes away sin. I don't know how that works, but I believe you somehow are king. You somehow remove sin. I will trust you. The good news of the kingdom. We know more of that. We know how it is that the son, the king, removes sin. It involves the cross. Everything that Jesus is about boils down to the cross on which Jesus died to pay for sin. on which Jesus died to fix the problem, to set the kingdom that had been knocked off, to set it back up, to bring in kingdom reign and kingdom release and kingdom blessing to those who trust Him. This is the good news, the gospel of the kingdom set in front of people who are then invited to, in faith, by faith alone, receive this news. You know, news is something, a report about what somebody else did, not a recipe for what you're supposed to do. This is what he has done, set in front of you, and you invited then to receive it in faith. That's the message That's the message that Jesus says is so important that you hear. And I could could get his emphasis by saying, hear it, don't just hear it. Hold fast to it with an honest and good heart, to use his words from verse 15. Jesus is intent that we hear and understand. Grasp it, hold tight to it. Well, why? Why? Well, in in some ways, isn't it obvious? There isn't anything else that's important. There isn't anything else that's important. Of course, there's lots of stuff that's important. I mean, somehow or another, you've got to get home today, and so your car has to work, so you have to have a car, and you've got to have a home to get home to, and food to eat. Yeah, of, of course, of course. But there isn't anything else that's important. Do you notice what Satan is doing here? Satan, the enemy of your soul. What Satan is doing here, snatching up the word, lest, he says, lest they believe and be saved. What 
Everything for all of eternity hinges on, do you hear this message or not? I just, in, I don't know, three, four, five minutes, just lay out very simply the good news of the kingdom and everything for all of eternity hinges on whether you got that. If you believe that you will be saved, and if you don't, you won't. There's nothing else that's important. Jesus sees crowds of people gathering and coming and hearing to listen and, and check him out. And let me say, you must hear this. Everything hinges on it. Salvation, eternal destiny, in a, a place in a kingdom that is a place of shalom, wholeness and hope and rest and joy, or eternity resting in a place of wrath. Hell is real, and it hinges right here. Did you hear this or not? Everything rides on it. Obviously, clearly, to the, to the world in general, we along with Jesus say this is critical. This is the message that must be heard and grasped and held tight to. But I'm not just talking to those out there. I'm just talking to people out there. Yes, clearly, we, we must talk to those out there, but we're talking to us in here too. We who sit in this room, week after week, we should hear this. We should hear this message from Jesus, and we should hear this parable, and we should have two levels of concern, one of which I'm going to talk about now, one of which I'm going to talk about later, in the second point. We should have two levels of concern. This, when I say everything hinges on this, I mean First and foremost, as I was saying, eternal destiny, eternal life hinges on it. But related to that, what also hinges on it, look at verse 15. Very end, very last sentence. As for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And what happens? And bear fruit with patience. This message, what, what we are being called to hear, and, and the line that he's drawing here is, is not only, it, it is, but it is not only between saved or not. It is also one thing we need to consider, our first level of concern. It is the line between fruitfulness and not. What he's laying in front of all of us, in front of all of us, this is about Fruitful life, yes or no? So think about that. It's easy for us to think, he's talking about non-Christians, talking about us. Life. Fruitful life, which God wants for us, which, which you want for you. I think, as, as I contemplate this, 
I like, I step into this and I see here something that is really sweet. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's telling me, telling us, those of us who sit here constantly, he's telling us, here's a fruitful life. Here's how a fruitful life happens. Here's how a life, a life happens. I'm not just talking about only some judicial, judicial judgment of forgiven or not. I'm talking about a life. A life that bears fruit like joy and peace and goodness and kindness and love. Fruit of the Spirit. A life that produces fruit in the sense of influencing others towards towards Jesus, that you know you get to be a part of the ministry band that influences people, that, that is part of building up the kingdom of God with him on mission, the joyful life. But more than that, real, honest-to-goodness human life, like you were made to live in the garden, a life that is inside of you whole because you are reconnected you're reconnected with the one who made you and meant to live in you and reconnected with those that he made around you that you were to be in community with and reconnected with the earth that you were to husband and shepherd It's easy for us to think about passages that talk about fruit, like fruit of the Spirit or bearing fruit in evangelism, and, and it kind of gets atomized. I've got a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and I influence that person, but I'm talking about, Jesus is talking about a life that is right. A life that bears fruit, that is meaningful and purposeful, that is filled with God's power, that sees you becoming more and more of God's character and understanding more and more of the truth and of the reality of the world He's placed you in. There are moments, I think, probably for all of us, there are moments when we feel like, we sometimes put this phrase on in English, God is in His heaven and all is right in the world. Ironically, that is what I'm talking about. The fruitful life in which we, we know and we live with God who is in His heaven and in this world that is right. Perfectly? No, we still have sin here. Of course, not perfectly. But that's what we're moving towards. And He means to give that now to people, to you and I. And, he, and to, to empower that, to make that real in us, He has given us a message not a bunch of rules to follow. If you act like this and you do this and don't do that, then you will find a fruitful life. No. He has given us a message, the good news of the kingdom. A message proclaimed to you that is to ring in your ears about who God is and what He has done to fix everything. And as that message given from God to us, enacted by God and given from God to us, as that fills our minds, what comes out of us as we patiently hold fast to it, what comes out of us is fruit. Life like it was supposed to be. So Christian, what's being held in front of you here is do you have ears to hear and do you listen to the message 
The declaration of the good news. Kingdom is and kingdom is coming from the hand of the King. Trust Him. Trust Him. What results from that patient trusting of Him is life. Fruit born in your life with patience. Waiting. This should be our first concern. The second will come later. But consider this. As we look at this parable, we think about these four soils. It's so familiar to us. It's easy to miss something here. That Jesus saying to you right now, Christian, here's a fruitful life. Hear the word and hold fast to it. Hear the message of the kingdom that is and that is coming from me and hold fast to it and wait. Life happens. Fruit is born in you. That is a good God who provides that to you. He doesn't set you to running, to to racing and to striving. He sets you to hearing and trusting. That's the first point. Our first consideration is about how it is important for us. There is much riding on proper hearing. And the second consideration comes in with with the trouble. Because it's hard to hear. Here's the second point. Beware of the many obstacles to careful proper hearing. It is crucial that we properly hear Eternity hinges on it, and life here now hinges on it, fruitful life. It's important, it's critical, but it's also hard. There are many obstacles. So Jesus talks about some of them. The first one, verses 5 and 12. We meet the first one, the path, particularly the birds who devour. And they are not just eating it. They are devouring it. They are feverishly wolfing it down. What a picture of the devil. The devil who takes the word of God right off the surface and feverishly wolfs it down, lest they believe and be saved. He doesn't want that, and so he works hard to stop it. The result might be Another English phrase we use, that people hear this word and it goes in one ear and out the other. This is common all over the world. Is this you? In your own situation, this isn't everybody here, but maybe it's you or maybe it has been you. This message, this good news of the kingdom goes forward And it strikes you like this. Comes and falls off. You sit there, questioning and doubting, or maybe not even concerned enough to question and doubt. 
You're like maybe a person in the crowd there who hears Jesus talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and wonders when he's going to get around to doing something exciting like healing somebody. That would be cool. Maybe you're here and you hear somebody talking and talking and talking and talking and wonder, not when will I do something cool, but when will this be over so I can go home and hang out with my friends? I got, a, I got lunch to get to. Adults and kids, teenagers, teenagers. I know I speak a lot of words quickly for a long time. You're intelligent. Are you listening? Do you have ears to hear? Something is laid in front of you every week. Every week. The good news of the kingdom of God on which everything hinges, eternity and life now, and is laid in front of you every week. And how many of us, adult or teenager, say week after week, when will this be over so I can get onto something I would enjoy? Do you realize that is because, in part, there is an enemy of your soul who is extremely interested in you not hearing this? He hates you too much to allow that. He knows that if you were to perhaps hear this, you might then believe and be saved, and he does not want that. He wants your death, your blood, your condemnation, and so he takes it away quickly, and you yawn. Realize that there is a spiritual realm and there is a spiritual enemy of your soul. He's in the room right now talking to you. Do you realize that? It is a very subtle enemy because he doesn't announce himself. He just snatches up the, the seed, snatches it up, snatches it up. And you wonder what's going on here. Realize that, please. Come awake to, be alerted to the fact that there is a spiritual realm, there is a spiritual reality. You do have an enemy. And what he takes away from you that you would not listen to it and not care about it, not embrace it in patient faith, what he takes away from you is the truth God the Son became flesh and went to the cross to pay for sin and rose from the dead and reigns in heaven and is coming to judge the living and the dead. That is the truth. Do not let it go in one ear and out the other. That's the first immediate obstacle, but of course not all the seed falls on the path and is snatched up. Some falls on the rock, verses 6 and 13. And the obstacle there is the time of testing, affliction, trial and hardship. Extremely common. People pictured here, is this you? People pictured here who receive it in joy, it says. Who hear the message of the kingdom and say, absolutely, who does not want? I, I want and I need forgiveness of my sin. And I want and I need peace. And I want and I need hope. And here is one who in meek mercy offers it to me. And that is all gloriously true. And they hear that and they embrace it in joy, says Jesus. And believe, but only for a little while. In some way, they do believe it, but only for a little while. And then comes hardship. And they say, that's not what I bought. 
That is not what I signed up for. That is not peace. That is not grace. That is not joy. That is not good. Whatever it is. All the hardships of life, and we could enumerate them. This is so very common that the hardships of life, disease and, and trouble and marital difficulty, they all they come, and many of us say, that, that is not what I signed up for. And instead of doing what John the Baptist did when he thought, that's not what I signed up for from behind his bars, he asked Jesus, what's, what's the truth here? Instead, the second soil, folks, is walk away. Is that you? You're being sifted. Sifted in a different way than the third soil and an opposite way. This is, is very much the opposite because it is not pain and affliction, it is abundance and pleasure. The concerns of life, the affairs of world, the world, the pleasures of the flesh, riches. You could summarize this by saying, this is the person who cannot set aside the message of the gospel, but is really more concerned living the American dream. Is this you? Yes, indeed, Jesus, I believe. But what is so pressing and so attractive and so enticing and so busying and so important and so time-consuming and so heart-consuming, education and career and advancement and contracts and buildings and houses and cars and vacations and kids and pools and parties, and cookouts, and sports, and spouses, etc., 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 etc. Is that you? Yes, I think Jesus probably fits in there somehow or another, I guess, so I'm told. But really, the hope of my heart is the American dream. Try to abbreviate some things here. Because I've got to get back to the second, the second concern. It comes in right here. The first concern Christians should have when we read this is about this is the fruitful life. The second concern, let me put it like this. Am I talking about a Christian or a non-Christian? When I, when I talk about one that sits there wondering when I'll be done talking, when I talk about one who sprouts up in joy at receiving and then comes affliction and turns away, when I talk about one who officially, certainly would never think of always holding fast to Jesus and the gospel, yes, but it's the American dream, am I talking about a Christian or a non-Christian? Which is it? Let me ask a different way. Am I talking about you? Am I talking about you now or you at some times? This is the second concern for us as we hear this passage. 
Who is he talking about, Jesus, that is? Who is Jesus talking about? And the answer can be given in a straightforward way and in a very important, less straightforward way. Straightforward way, there's only one of these folks that's a Christian. That's crystal clear. Only the fourth one is a Christian. Not hearing the word, can't be a Christian. Temporary faith, falling away in unbelief, not a Christian. Fruitlessness, no fruit, not a Christian. Only the fourth one is a Christian. That's the clear way to answer this question, but not the most helpful way. The most helpful way is to say, when the plant peeks out of the ground and is beginning to flourish right there and it's green, is that a Christian or not? I can't tell. When the plant grows up and there are competing agendas surrounding it, is that a Christian or not? Well, as it's growing up, I can't tell. You can't tell. Because it all looks the same at first. Every one of these plants that sprouts begins about that tall, looking just the same. We can't tell if the rock's underneath yet, if the, if the weeds are going to choke it out, or if it's going to bear a hundredfold. We can't tell yet. So this comes back to us. Here's the, the concern. If he's talking about you, what do you do? Don't run immediately to, well, I'm a Christian, so it can't be me. No, it might be you. This is the, this is the tricky part. You've got, you got to sit here under this and say, that might be me on the way. He depicts it as the very end. But I'm not at the very end yet. I'm just on the way. That might be me. And in fact, I do find the afflictions of life have turned me cold. And I sit here right now. I do find my life is consumed with the American dream. If somebody were to look at my life, my bank account, check my day timer, I would be an American. That is me right now. He is talking about me, I think. But I'm a Christian. Wait a minute. What do you do? What do you do? You do not set it aside and say he's talking about non-Christians. No, he's calling you Christian. He's calling you to hear the word and respond to it properly. How do you do that? Well, look ahead to verse 15. You hold fast to this word, but I'm not holding fast. Right, repent and hold fast. Identify yourself in this. Identify yourself in this and repent if you see you here. If you see you on the way here, realize I'm walking a path that is a path I don't want to be on, a path that leads away from fruitfulness in life and a path that even ultimately leads to death. I don't want to be on that path. Repent and turn. Why? Because of the offer of hope. Here's fruitfulness. Here's life. 
Here's a path paved by one who already himself has defeated Satan, who already himself has faced affliction, who knows hardship, knows what it's like to be hungry for days on end without hope, ostracized, who, has, who was offered from the hand of Satan, taken up to a high place, look at all of this, it can be yours, here's the riches and the wealth of the world. And he patiently sat down and said, no, I will wait. I will hold fast to the word of the Lord. And I will look to the kingdom that is to come. He has already paved that path for you. You can walk it after him. You can. Because he's paid that, paved that path for you, has died for you, and Christian has given you his spirit to live in you, to move you to follow him. There is, there is a lot more that could be said, and I'll, I'll say some of it next week, but probably not all of it. There's a lot more that could be said. But I have to leave it at that. It, and that's, you know, somebody once said, when I did that once before, I, accidentally, I did it again. I did it once before, and somebody said, oh, I wish you just kept preaching for another half hour. No, I, I really think that's enough. This parable is not meant for us to deflect it and assume that it's about somebody else, but it's meant for us to, to see ourselves in it, to repent and turn. And to patiently hold fast, to patiently hold fast to this message, the kingdom is, and the kingdom is coming, and the kingdom is coming to you. Believe. And if you don't, you should ask yourself, why not? I hear him say that. I hear him say that. But in fact, it is not persuasive to me. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Let me pray. Father, in a lot of ways, I, I feel like I have to trust you to fill in all the gaps that I left here this morning. So fill them in and speak to your people. Particularly, Lord, would you speak to those who find themselves drawn away, drawn away by the things of earth, drawn away by affliction and trouble, and not drawn back. Speak to them, please. Alert them and open their eyes. And please give them ears to hear the message of the kingdom. Draw them back, stir them, move them back, please. For us who waver, 
who can see in ourselves at times and in places bits of all of these soils. Remind us of Jesus, the one who has gone before us. Draw us to trust Him. Spirit of God, create in us patient faith. For those who are in this moment currently experiencing fruitful life and delighting in it, Lord, we bless Your name. You are so good and so kind to provide that. Keep fueling that with the message of the Gospel. Keep fueling in us loving devotion to You. Keep stirring us towards joy and rest, moving us to engage in faith. Wherever we are, Lord, across that spectrum, address Your people and speak to us. You are good and You are kind, and I say thank You. And pray that you would build your church and that you would honor your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.